platform uh, and the business that we're building. And I think what we've landed on is this idea of inspiring better conversations about money. Um, because if we look at what is happening today uh, and how we talk about money, and I, and I mean specifically black people, we talk about money in such a vague and um, abstract way. Um, and we certainly don't attribute a lot of the failed financial decisions to the way that we talk or learn about money. And so what we want to do is inspire better conversations about money. Um, and so we want to like get into like, what do you mean when you say that person makes good money? What do you mean when you say they have a good job or they're doing well, or this person is rich? Like, let's get more specific. Let's get down to the details. Let's get tactical. Um, and let's get out of the conversation. Welcome to the Uncensored Show with your host, George Atchampal, where we share the mindset, tips, tools, strategies, and stories on how to use your money to do more of what you love and what you were called to do. Money is like gas on a road trip. Sure, you need it to get where you're going, but you're not going on a tour of gas stations. Money fuels your journey. The question is, what's yours? Live life uncensored. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Uncensored Show. And today we got a chance to sit down with uh, a couple that you probably know or have heard of. If you haven't, you're certainly in for a treat. Um, And they are known as the dynamic duo of Rich and Regular. Uh, Julian and Kirsten uh, began their journey uh, back in 2013. Uh, They paid off uh, a bunch of debt, $200,000 in debt. And boosted their net worth and learned a lifetime of lessons along the way. And since then, uh, they decided to kind of share the journey, bring us along for the journey. They call themselves financial role models. Right. And why is that an important distinction? Because, you know, it's easy to share great content about what you could do. It's a completely different thing to share examples of what you are doing. And so we had a really, really great conversation. Um, I kept them on for the full hour, which is something that I rarely do just because there was so much gain. They talk about, you know, why they decided to uh, transition out of real estate investing, even though they were successful real estate investors. They talked about what exactly is the fire movement, right? Financial independence, retire early. They talked about what it's like to be in a relationship and get on the same page financially to have some of these goals. They also have an ebook on how to cook better at home on a budget um, while still eating well. And I maybe didn't do that description justice, but um, Julian is actually a former chef. And so anytime you can get insight from someone who used to be a former chef on how you can make better food at home, I strongly recommend taking that advice, not to mention when you can do it on a budget. So I'm actually probably going to um, gift an ebook to our listeners. You can just check out the show notes to find out uh, how to get that free e-guide. But other than that, guys, strap in. Um, You're in store for a great episode. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Uncensored Show. Uh, Today, you guys are definitely in for a treat. I've been wanting to get uh, both of them on the podcast for quite a while. Uh, I really love their message, love what they stand for. Um, You guys know I'm all about advocating for building wealth uh, as a person of color. And we all know that representation plays a huge factor in, you know, that being a possibility. So 
Uh, today, I was super ecstatic to have uh, Julian and Kirsten on the show from Rich and Regular. Guys, how are you doing? Wonderful, man. Doing great, man. How are you? Doing great, doing great. Uh, like we just talked about offline a few seconds ago, just, you know, adjusting um, to the world and, and how everything is, is happening at this point. But definitely no complaints and just taking it all in stride and excited to, to chat with you guys today. Yeah, we are too. It breaks up the, the day a little bit, <laughs> reminds yeah. us that there are still people out there, even though <laughs> we have to remain socially distant. Right, right. Hundred percent, hundred percent. So obviously, you know, my listeners heard the the formal intro that I gave, but I always like to give my guests an opportunity just to, you know, in their own words, just to kind of summarize at a high level who they are and you know what they're all about. Yeah, I'll take a shot at that. Um, so this is Julian. I'm my wife, Kirsten. We are married. We live just outside of Atlanta, Georgia. Um, we are most popularly known for our blog, uh, which is Rich and Regular. Um, we are content creators, entrepreneurs, uh, as of a few weeks ago, former real estate investors, which given the situation came just in the nick of time. Uh, and I would say also aspiring early retirees. Awesome. Awesome. I think that's a, given what I know about you guys' platform, I'd say that's a great, uh, a great summary. Thank you for sharing that. And speaking to the early uh, retiree part of the conversation, uh, what officially sparked the desire and the journey of saying, you know what, like, I want to do this different, right? Because both of you guys, uh, from from what I can recall, have like great uh, corporate America jobs. Um, and I know I think Kirsten, I'm not sure if both of you guys, but are both of you guys full time entrepreneurs now or or just yep, one? we are. Awesome. I, left, I left work about a month ago. Awesome. That's that's amazing. And so, like, what just sparked that that idea? Like, what was the initial spark? Right. Because I'm always fascinated by that, because, you know, what you guys do is essentially creating that spark for so many other people. So I'm curious, what was that spark for you guys to say, like, we just we want to do this a little different than the traditional way? Um, for us, it was our honeymoon. So we had spent prior to getting married and going on our honeymoon, we spent a long two, two and a half years paying off debt, consumer debt. And our honeymoon was like the end of a very rigid period in our life where we were paying for past decisions. And we spent two weeks away from work. We were in South Africa, which is just the most incredible, beautiful place we've ever been. And all that took uh, for me to unplug from the matrix was that two week period where I wasn't worried about work. I wasn't worried about money. I was only being present and enjoying the time that I had with the person that I love and will still love <laughs> and um that made me realize like what a burden work was causing in my life where it's like gosh can you imagine a world where you don't have to go to work you can do more of this maybe not to this degree of opulence but certainly to this degree of presence and and gratitude and that was when we decided or at least when i decided julian was a little more interested in early retirement and fire before the honeymoon but that was the moment when i decided um, that I was interested. I got that little taste of freedom and I was like, oh, I want more. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a perfect segue into my next question. So what, what was it like? Cause it's hard enough to get yourself to make good decisions. Right. So what was it like you guys both kind of getting on the same page? It sounds like Julian gave you a little bit of grace to, to, to catch up, but like, what was that part like? Because, you know, I, I'm married and what I've found is like in most situations, 
it's not always this like seamless thing where just both people are on the same page immediately. So I'm curious on what that process was like to kind of get on the same page for this journey. Um, I'll jump in and this is, I guess, the least romantic part of the conversation. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it was not, it, listen, it wasn't, it wasn't easy. It wasn't pretty uh, or funny. Um, our first conversation about money was also our first argument about money and in the process of having that uh, conflict, we we, just, we learned a lot about ourselves um, and, and we learned a lot about what we wanted out of life, not just as a couple, um, but also just as professionals. And I think, you know, going back to your earlier question in terms of what really sparked it for me, it, you know, very similar to Kirsten, it was like, you know, it, it's great when you get the job, you got the money, things are going well, but you also have to ask yourself, and you might even ask yourself this question several times a week, is can I do this for 30 to 40 years? And even if you're not talking about that job or that company or even that industry, you know, there are just some days or some weeks or some really long stretches of time where you really have to ask whether or not you can do this um, for long stretches of time. And so, you know, the process for us was about asking each other that question, not just as individuals, but also as a couple. What impact does this kind of work-life obsession have on our relationship? Do you really see a world where we can continue to have really happy moments like this if we're bound to, like, really outdated labor practices? You're only going to get X amount of weeks on vacation and you have to ask somebody or, you know, quote-unquote, earn the right to care for yourself or to care for other people in your life. And so, um, yeah, we, you know, it, it was starting with that and, and it was a lot of undoing and unlearning a lot of beliefs and rules of thumb that we uh, brought into our relationship and to that stage of our lives um, and doing all of that while we were at the same time trying to grow our relationship. Got it. Got it. Now that's, that's, that's very helpful. And I think, um, a lot of couples, you know, are always kind of seeking if there's one person who maybe is leading the charge, how can we come together? And I think that was a, a great way to articulate just the importance of evaluating that. Can I really do this for 20, 30, 40 years? Right. And I think now, which we'll touch on a little bit later in the podcast, now more than ever, we're realizing the things that we felt were so secure aren't as secure as we thought they were. Right. I think this this is, is going to wake a lot of people up in a lot of different ways. Um, so I know that you guys mentioned as we are continuing to talk about that you want to be uh, early retirees. And so I, I also know that there's kind of a formal, um, I guess, title to the movement um, that you guys have been associated with, which is the FIRE movement. Um, for the benefit of my listeners, can you just kind of uh, explain like what that acronym means and, and what it's all about? Yeah, so it stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. And we kind of treat it as two different, um, two different parts of the same movement. So there's the financial independence movement, which is basically a massing amount of investments where work becomes an optional thing for you. You can live off the income from your investments instead of going into a job and doing the traditional thing of trading your time for money. And then there's the retire early portion, which is, after you've figured out how to earn an income from other investments, you start to question the idea of traditional work. And so for some people, that means that they go to part-time jobs and still work because they get some other benefits from it, whether it's health benefits or like a social aspect. 
other people quit altogether and uh, <laughs> go sit on the de- beach and drink pina coladas. <laughs> and then there's like this third group where we're kind of redefining the definition of retirement, where we don't see retirement as this um, thing where you can no longer earn money anymore. It's just you decide what you're going to do with your time and you may earn your money in sprint. You may only work for a season. You may not make any money that year. You get to decide every year what you want to do. And that's kind of where we sit. Got it. So more than anything, it sounds like you have options and choices. Right. And I think yeah, that's the yeah, whole. Yeah. Yeah. Think, that, that's the whole point of, of the movement is to give you more options and choices than what the traditional career path gives you. Got it. No, it makes perfect sense. And could you give us kind of a high level insight on how do you like reverse engineer like that number? Right. Because you said, um, you know, you amass a certain amount of investments. Like, how do you how do you get there? How do you know like what that target is? Yeah. So the majority of the people who are kind of supporting or living this lifestyle are really basing it off of what's known as the Trinity study, which I believe was a study done in like the 70s or 80s. Um, by a bunch of finance professors that essentially uh, found that if you uh, have amassed 25x your annual consumption uh, and you invest that money wisely, you can essentially withdraw 4% uh, from that portfolio and not be worried about running out of money because the pace of growth in the marketplace will exceed your rate of withdrawal uh, and inflation. Um, obviously, there's an end to that, and obviously, there are ups and downs depending on where the market is, but most people use that as a bit of a guidepost, and so they say, all right, if I you know, spend uh, X amount of $1,000 a year to live off of that, I'm going to try to amass uh, 25X that. In fact, a lot of people now are just trying to play it safe because the market is so uh, volatile are now looking at saying, how do I amass, let's say, 30% of that just to make sure... Uh, that I am covered in the event that something catastrophic happens. Other people take it a step further and say, okay, I'm going to do that, but I'm also going to supplement that um, with something that I think is a bit more, um, let's say, predictable. And so I'm going to invest in real estate and rely on rental income to supplement my income so that I you know, am diversifying my sources of income. Some people like us take that a step further and say, all right, I'm going to have rental properties. I'm going to have a portfolio, but I'm also going to have, let's say, an online business or additional supplemental sources of income that I can use. That way, no matter what happens, I know I can always try to ramp up my business to draw income or I can, I've got assets, real estate that I can sell, or maybe it's a property that I can, let's say, now turn into a flip instead of a buy and hold rental or you know, you, you don't have as many options, obviously, with your uh, with your investment portfolio aside from, let's say, tweaking investments and allocations. But the point is, in general, people are looking at amassing 25 to, let's say, 30x of what they uh, invest on an annual basis. And once they hit that mark, they are technically financially independent and aren't necessarily bound to exchange their time for money. Got it. Got it. That's a a perfect uh, explanation. I appreciate you for sharing that. Uh, You know, what are some of the what would you say are some of the biggest misconceptions about the fire movement? Right. Because I feel like any movement right there, there's a sense of like extreme. Right. And so like even people who are plant based or vegan, sometimes people say, oh, those people are vegan, just go overboard. And so 
my question to you is now that you guys are kind of doing it your own way, right? Because you can have a, the movement as a concept, but ultimately you guys decide what makes sense for you. What are some, I guess, misconceptions about the fire movement? Oh, there's so many. And I'm glad you brought up the veganism example because we often use that as a metaphor to say, you know, 10 years ago when people were talking about being vegan, the question was, but where are you going to get your protein? (laughs) And of course, vegans knew that protein comes in many sources and comes from a lot of different things. And plant-based protein is extremely healthy. Um, It was just like that one thing that was hanging people up. There's lots of parallels with the fire movement. One that we hear a lot is around it only being for white people, which we completely disagree with. While there are a lot of white faces that have blogs, we feel like this is a movement that can liberate more black people than anyone or people of color because of what work does for us specifically. Uh, The other ones that we get are around health insurance because America is one of the least developed countries in that aspect where they try healthcare to employment, people seem to think that that's the only way that you can be healthy, that you can, uh, that you can <laughs> get, get medical aid. Right. And that's not true either. Obviously there are lots of options there and healthcare isn't about healthcare anyway. It's just, you know, bill insurance. And then um, I think the other one is around how much you have to make to pursue fire. So there's this idea that you have to be a super high earner to save half of your income or, you know, even a, a larger chunk of your income than than the standard. And that's not true either. I mean, obviously, the less you make, the less you spend. And what drives the equation for financial independence is around your spending. There is a level of income where it doesn't make sense and you might need to pursue side hustles or some other mechanism to earn more in order to achieve uh, a reasonable timeline. But in general, you don't need to make, you know, $250,000 a year to pursue financial independence. Got it. Yeah. And we, we, we heard the cliche, but we all, you know, it, we just have to remind ourselves, it's not about how much you make, it's about how much you keep. Right. And so I've, you know, I know people who, you know, years ago when I was just becoming a financial advisor, um, clients who had 40,000, a $40,000 salary, but were in a better position than some people who had a $150,000 salary just based upon how they manage their money and what they prioritize. So thank you for sharing that. Cause I know a lot of people do, they quickly write things off when they see people paying off lots of debt or they see people investing lots of money um, or just making those steps in general, they quickly write it off by saying, Oh, of course you can do that. If you make a lot of money, I can't do that because I make X and that's just not the case. You just have to reshift your priorities and, and do what you can with where you are. So thank you for sharing that. No, I think that's, if I could just add to that point, because I think you're 1,000% correct. Um, you know, we know plenty of people that make uh, or made way more money than we did. Um, but of what they made, they probably spent all, if not more of it, right? They built in this lifestyle that was so expensive. They drive really fancy and expensive cars. They, you know, take really exotic vacations. They live in really expensive homes. They have their children in really expensive daycares. And so before you know it, um, what is left at the end of the day, what they are able to save and therefore invest is significantly lower. Um, and so to Kirsten's point, obviously it depends. I mean, it's certainly easier to do if you make more money. Right. Um, but it can happen for people who earn less. Um, and, and that's really core to our message, this idea that, you know, you have to take greater control and be really purposeful with your spending um, and also recognize that 
you know, we do not live in a world where um, jobs should be considered secure. That's a very outdated term. And so this assumption that so many of us make is that I make, let's say, sixty, seventy-five thousand dollars a year, and I will always earn that much or more. Is just really not the case, uh, unless you create systems that ensure that that is the case. But you certainly can't assume that people are always going to be willing uh, to pay you that amount uh, in the workplace because there's a lot of competition uh, for those jobs, and there are people who are willing to do it um, every single year, several times a year, coming out of school that want to do that job for 20, 30% less. And those companies have an obligation to make as much money as possible. And sometimes that comes at the expense of certain people's comfort levels. 100%, 100%. I, I totally, totally agree. Uh, so what are some of the biggest lessons um, so far? I know you guys are still in the journey, but what are some biggest le- some of the biggest lessons you guys have learned so far about yourselves and about I guess, how you view money on this journey that you guys have taken together? Um, there are so many. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll tell you one that's, that's, that's top of mind right now. Um, and it's the idea of, uh, and I'm trying not to get too deep here, <laughs> but it, it's the idea of, of what a job does aside from income. And in so many ways, uh, it mutes you. Uh, like I know a lot of people who are some of the most brilliant people I've ever met, super passionate about causes and beliefs, and they stand by those things. But because of their jobs, they don't feel like they can actually express themselves or support the things that they say are important to them. Um, and so while that has very little to do with money, it, it's very much connected to money because most people get their money from their jobs. And so what we've learned is that that sort of relationship dynamic has psychological uh, implications on your relationships. Because when you go to work every single day and you feel muted, and sometimes you even wear your mutedness, if you will, right? Like you you mute or soften uh, your ethnicity or your accent or your, your style preferences or all of these things so that you can assimilate um, and be accepted in uh, an environment that, particularly in corporate America, is oftentimes a predominantly white uh, environment. Um, and that sort of trade-off is, is damaging because you bring that home. Mm-hmm. You, 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 you transfer that, that mindset and those attitudes to the way that you raise your children, and you certainly um, you know, still wear that when you are engaging with your partner. Uh, and so for us, as we're like thinking about not just money and early retirement, but also some of the broader implications of this dynamic, like that's the thing that's really been top of mind is like, not only are we talking about financial freedom, but we're talking about freedom on a much deeper and personal sense. Indeed. Indeed. Ooh, that's, that's real. I like, yeah, that resonated a lot with me for sure. And that's part of the reason why I decided to uh, be an entre- entrepreneur a number of years ago. So you hit the nail on the head with that. And, you know, being yeah, real, man. Yeah, for, for sure. Um, and being a, that I am a financial advisor, one of the things that I often see is the the biggest holes in people's budget, it, as simple as it sounds, is food, right? People just overspend on food. They think the Chick-fil-A doesn't add up. And then you look up and you spent five, six, seven hundred dollars on food and you're complaining about not having money to invest and it's in your stomach. Right. And so the reason why I bring that up 
is because I know you guys I believe you have like a guide that shows people how to eat better at home, which naturally obviously is also going to be on a budget. Can you, so can you talk about that a little bit and um, what made you guys decide to create that resource? Yeah. So <clears throat> I am uh, actually a, a former chef. I used to cook professionally. I'm trying not to age myself, but <laughs> this was uh, <laughs> in the late nineties and early two thousands. Uh, but I, I, I used uh, cooking obviously as a lever to manage our budget, but also to manage our health and, and, the, and, and the nutrition of our family and of our son. Um, and what I learned over time is that as we became so work obsessed and we were, you know, all about the grind and waking up early and, you know, staying late because we want to be seen as hard workers and, you know, um, able to take on whatever tasks is put in front of us, in front of us in the workplace, it oftentimes came to the detriment of our bodies. And I wanted to help people just better understand some of the basics um, of cooking so that they could, uh, one, just have the, the, the stamina required to pursue financial independence. And even if you're not pursuing that, like just have the energy uh, required to make better decisions about the food that you eat, but also to be able to do that while maintaining a reasonable budget. Um, and the reason why we wrote that ebook or that e-guide is because we know that, and I think we already alluded to it on the earlier part of this conversation, is that when people think about eating on a budget, they immediately go to the extreme. And they assume that, you know, if you're eating rice and beans, <laughs> you know, like that's always like just kind of a blah kind of experience. And that's just not true. And, and I think, you know, particularly for me as someone uh, whose entire family is from Jamaica, you know, like we have lots of dishes that have rice and beans in it and it's absolutely delicious. And so it's really a matter of, do you know what to do with those beans and that rice? Yeah. I mean, if you don't, then yeah, you're signing yourself up for a pretty um, unfulfilling uh, <laughs> budget dining experience. But if you know what to do with it, um, particularly like in African culture and Caribbean culture or Indian culture, that's not a, you know, that's not budget food. That's just good food. You know what I mean? And yeah. so we wanted to see if we can help um, express that particularly, you know, no offense to the African-Americans out there, just the people who just don't cook, but a lot of them don't really have that kind of experience. And they're kind of victims to the modern day food system because it pushes them into making decisions that are actually really, really expensive. And so if they knew how to use some of these other ingredients or how to cross utilize ingredients they could actually one make better nutrition decisions but also better financial decisions 100 i wrote the book for my wife yeah she still funny. hasn't read african-americans it. who don't cook i eat meat just from <laughs> that, that's hilarious that's hilarious nah but it's so true like it's a hundred percent like i'm amazed at how much and people are too um, and how much money they spend on food when they really sit down and look at it. So, guys, make sure you get that, guys. As a matter of fact, um, you know, I will buy one of the guides. We'll do some type of giveaway. We'll figure it out offline um, on how you guys can win that. But it, I'm telling you, as a financial advisor, food is one of the biggest holes in most people's budget. And so lose the misconception that you can't eat well um, while dining at home and doing it on a budget. So thank you guys for sharing that. What's up, guys? George Achenpong here, founder of the Melanin Million Movement. Did you guys know that the Melanin Million Movement is on a mission to help 100,000 people of color invest their first or next 
$1,000 in the stock market, effectively creating $100 million of new wealth among people of color. If you haven't heard about it, head over to melaninmoney.com. Check out the Get Started page. There's also some great apparel on the site to help you spread the word without having to say a thing. Um, one other question I have is because to your point, a lot of times when people hear the word budget, it feels just very restrictive and they think that, oh, I'm going to be in the house in the summertime with the AC off. I'm going to have to eat rice and beans. But, you know, if you're from Jamaica, you might know how to do a little more with those rice and beans. Uh, but other than that, people feel like being on a budget is just restrictive. So what do you feel like is the balance between frugality and just scarcity? This is a good question uh, because I was someone who resisted budgets for a long time. And I think the real difference is intentionality and the, 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 the time that we're in right now with this pandemic, where a lot of people are reducing their spending down to what they consider the essentials. I think I read a survey yesterday that said 47% of Americans have reduced their budget because they feel like, you know, the economy is, is volatile. But what you're realizing is that you can still have a good life with with reduced spending. Yeah. If you can cut out the things that no longer matter. And if you have the, the blessing of an experience similar to the one that I had in South Africa and similar to the one that a lot of people are having right now for, you know, less positive circumstances in the pandemic. But if you have the, the blessing of an experience where you're looking at what expenditures you really just have that are coping mechanisms for some other area of your life, it becomes even more clear. It becomes even more clear why you've been avoiding the kitchen because you're exhausted from your commute. Mm. When that commute is gone, you're like, oh, shit, I guess I can cook. Like, <laughs> I guess I, you know, when, when online shopping now has a, a delivery window of a month and a half, you start to realize like, oh, I guess I really didn't need that shirt because, you know, that instant gratification is gone at this point. And so I think there's, there's a blessing in all of this as, as hard and as difficult as it's been. The blessing is that it gives you the clarity that you need for your budget and the intention. It gives you the, the time that you need to see the intention behind every purchase. And when you can, when you have intention, it kind of um, overrides scarcity and overrides that restrictive feeling that you that you may experience with budget. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I literally was thinking that the same the same thing this morning. I was like, "Who knew that I would be a working out in front of the TV kind of guy?" Like. I just never knew. I, I just never thought I'd be the guy yeah. well, doing guided workouts in front of the TV. But here I am and saving. I pause my gym membership naturally. But now I think myself and a lot of people are going to revisit um, some of the expenses. Like, do I really need that? Um, and to your point, st we're all still making it right. We have all these rules, all these restrictions, all these places that we can't go. But here we are making it. Um, and so it's really going to make a lot of people evaluate. So I think there is a silver lining um, in the gray cloud of what's going on. And I couldn't agree more. Yeah, it's hard to find them, but <laughs> things like this, because um, yeah. it's going to be interesting what, what happens to certain industries yeah. after after behavior changes. Like we know the last time behavior changed at a mass scale like this was around 2008, and it created all sorts of new industries and new practices and new technology mm -hmm. to accommodate this new behavior. So when you look at what's going to happen from these behaviors where people are spending more time at home, they're with their kids, they have to incorporate all sorts of creativity and just how to get by. 
I'm hoping that some of the trends that come back are the very ones that we've been talking about in the fire movement, where it is community, it is sharing, it is yeah. being intentional, it is looking at secondhand goods, it's avoiding luxury. It's, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm excited about the potential for a resurgence of simplicity. Mm, that's a, a that's a bar. Uh, tweet that. <laughs> um, drop a beat. I yeah. got a couple more in. Somebody drop a flex bomb. <laughs> um, but now I was, uh, yeah, because I was outside the other day, um, just like running, jogging, Uh-oh. whatever. I was safe though. I was safe. <laughs> I was I was social distanced. Um, but and I saw like you know uh, a, a black woman who was with her child just sitting sitting outside, just you know middle of the day, right? Um, and I just think so many people are going to realize like, whoa, like when I don't have all this hustle and bustle and routine, like I can just do stuff that I want to do. I can just enjoy my life. And so I, I'm I'm with you and I'm just excited to see uh, the resurgence of simplicity of just people realizing, you know, it's not all about checking a box. Like in America, and it's, you say you're from Jamaica, um, Julian. So I, that's one of my favorite places to travel. Uh, I was there last time I was there is 2016. And what I loved about being there is I just got this sense of like just this lust for life, right? Just like just literally enjoying life and not, it's not about achievement or accomplishments or who, you know, becoming the CEO and climbing the corporate ladders. Just, I just really enjoy my life, right? Everybody was easygoing. And, you know, and even though I've been on, had have had this mindset for a while, it was just a reminder because one of the things about being an entrepreneur is naturally, you know, you can get into the space of achievement and accomplishment. And I had to remind myself like, yes, okay, there's things that you accomplish as a result of what you do, but never lose sight of the fact that the reason why you chose this path is for freedom ultimately. And uh, it just, I'm just excited for more people to kind of have that awakening for sure. Well said. All right. So I know also now I've kind of been stalking you guys a little bit so I could be prepared. Um, I also know that you guys um, decided to make the decision to stop in, I guess, being real estate investors. Uh, so tell us a little bit about that mindset or perspective and why that's no longer a part of your wealth building strategy. Yeah, man. Um, and I'm, you know, apparently since I accidentally threw some shade at African Americans, I'm going to try <laughs> not to throw shade to. Hey, it's the um, uncensored show, bro. You got to keep it a buck. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well then, well then, I'll, I'll just try. I'll say this: If you've ever earned money on the internet um, and earned money with real estate, particularly as a landlord, then you know uh, it's night and day. Right. That 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 deposit hit different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I mean? The the degree of complexity required to earn a decent living as a landlord, particularly when you think about how capital intensive it is, is absolutely ridiculous compared to the complexity required with money that you can earn on the internet. And so going back to the ebook that we launched last year, you know, man, when we looked at the numbers of that thing and the work required <laughs> to earn money and compared it to our real estate portfolio, it was like, why would I tie up so much capital and have all this complexity from an LLC to insurance to a management company, all of these things to earn income through rental property. It was like, why would I do that? Um, not to mention the, the, the type of property that we had, which was a condo that we bought in 2014, while it was incredibly lucrative, we bought it for 62000 and sold it for 139 I believe, um, five years later while renting it out pretty much, 
you know, consistently for five years. Like it was incredibly lucrative. But had we taken that same money and put it into the market, we would have had a higher rate of return. And so there's nothing wrong with that. You know, like we're not always racing to have the higher rate of return. It was supplementary and it served a purpose. Um, but it wasn't until, like I said, we started earning money through other ways that we said, you know what, it, it, we treated it the same way that we would um, having, let's say, X thousands of dollars in a bond portfolio. It was like, all right, we probably don't need to be so heavily allocated um, in this. We can afford to be a little bit more aggressive. And so um, we decided to sell because the reality was um, we knew enough about the market that we were in um, and we knew enough about the types of assets that we had that when the market crashed, what it's doing right now, um, that that the, the equity that was in uh, those properties were at risk. Uh, and we just didn't want to lose that and then have to wait likely another 10 years to earn that money back. Um, right. We knew that we could do a lot more with that income. And so uh, we did, we decided to sell. I would say the second reason is, um, you know, because we're just really, really excited about digital entrepreneurship. Um, you know, like when we, you know, real estate investing was a bit of a gateway drug to the fire movement. And then the fire movement was like a, a gateway drug to digital entrepreneurship. And so, you know, Kirsten went to Afrotech last year. Um, we've been going to uh, conventions and like really just learning about all these other ways that people can earn money online. Um, and that just really just was the new wave. We were like, you know what, like if I'm a, if I've got an extra five hours a week to learn something, I'm either going to decide to learn more about, let's say, you know, insurance, or I want to learn about coding and, or, you know, like how to invest money online. And for me, it was just night and day. Like I would much rather <laughs> learn those things, which seem to be much more future proof than learning about these old ways of building wealth. Yeah. No, hundred percent. I'm man. Y'all, we have a lot in common in that regard. Um, and even me, and I love, you know, my, my firm as an advisor, um, but it's a service-based business and, you know, I'm now, and for the past like nine months really have, have started to set it up to where I can kind of work myself out of being the lead advisor and I can have someone else kind of manage that so that I can own the business, but not, you know, run it because there are easier ways to make money, there's things that I'm, you know, more passionate about in terms of being able to get my voice out there. Um, and like you said, it's just a lot easier to make a lot of make money on the internet um, with a lot less um, time um, involved to do it. So you guys uh, are right on the money um, with that one. You're looking like a genius right now, then, because I think you guys would officially sold what, earlier in March, right? Dude, I, I, when I tell you, <laughs> I've gotten that note so many times. Like, how did you know? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> We made the decision, you know, mid, uh, I want to say it was like July, August last year to get out. And again, I'm not a genius fan, but we knew, anybody that's been paying attention to the market, right. knew that we were long overdue yeah. uh, for correction. Um, I don't think anybody uh, could have predicted that we would have had the combination of the recession uh, and, well, okay, it's not officially recession, but, you know, let's just call it what it is. Right. I don't know anybody could have predicted that plus a pandemic. Um, but when I tell you it came down to the wire, like we sold that last property, I forget what the closing date was, but it was the first week of March. We had just come back from New York. I mean, the first cases just started popping up. Um, and so the following week is when 
you know, states and cities really started locking things down. And so it would have certainly impacted our closing. I think we would have still been able to have gotten out of March um, just based on what I've seen. But yeah, we were really, really glad we got out when we did. Um, and, you know, hey, it, I could not think, think of a better time to be sitting on a podcast. <laughs> man, <laughs> man, man, for sure. Because I remember, you know, I was naturally a good bit younger, 08, 09. And, and I didn't really have a full grasp of what was happening at that time. I just told myself, whenever this happens again, I will be ready. Um, yeah, exactly. You know, and I, so, I literally have emails. I need to look look back and find them because that was right around when I was learning about economic cycles. And while I couldn't take advantage of it then, that's when I said, "Man, this is a moment. Yeah, like, you can like grab this by the horn. You don't even have it doesn't even have to be like crazy, but like if you can just do a little bit more than what is expected of you, and you just keep your head down and stay focused, you can come out the other end." sitting really, really comfortably. And then now we're at that position where it's like, all right, now we're comfortable and sitting through this period. Um, And it it, it almost hurts to say this, right? Because we know that the majority of people can't do this, but I'm hoping they can sense the excitement and feel like, all right, I can do that too. Like the people who have means now will come out the other end, let's say 10 years from now, significantly wealthier than they already are. Right. Um, and that really should be an inspiration for those who may be on the outside looking in. And so I'm not saying that to gloat, but I'm saying that to say be a student of market cycles, focus on the fundamentals, make smart decisions. It might be boring, you know, in the interim, but when you are done and when it's all said and done, I mean, the results, your portfolio, your net worth, it, it ultimately um, is, is all worth it. Yeah, and I'll, I'll just add, since we're piling on about American culture and, and values of, of this country, one of the, the um, negative aspects of the culture, of American culture, is how much evidence we need to believe something. Mm. So we can see, we can look across a number of trends, even something like cigarette smoking. It took like 30, 40 years of cancer and, and death and uh, breathing issues before we decided to put a warning on the cigarette packets and like start to shun people <laughs> for smoking in public and around children and on airplanes. Right. The same is true for work and a lot of these companies and industries that you're seeing fail right now. The writing has been on the wall. That's what's been guiding our decision. It hasn't been that I had to wait for it to be on the news or wait for there to be a public health scare. It's a form of literacy to be able to read the fine print. And I know people like talking about, don't like talking about financial illiteracy or digital illiteracy, but these are very real things that we have to start saying, where it's like, if you miss this, then there's an acknowledgement that you weren't reading the right things, you weren't seeing the right things, you weren't comprehending it. And that's not anything to be ashamed of. Know that you can learn it, you can you can do something different the next time, and the information is still there. It didn't get hidden because there is a pandemic. You just need to change the sources that you're looking for for guidance 100 percent, man I, I i i have not said a thing that i don't agree with <laughs> <laughs> do you put sugar on grits <laughs> well no, i don't i don't i'm not a sugar on grits yeah. guy i'm not a sugar on grits guy um so beyond you know putting yourselves and your family and your legacy intact i also know that you know just 
sharing this, you guys deciding to share it, right? It is more so like, okay, yes, we're doing this anyway. But if I'm, if I'm guessing correctly, it's because you know what's possible. You know what it felt like when you guys got that inspiration and you just have a desire to have that broader like impact for other people. So like, and I feel like you might've touched on this earlier, but could you just maybe sum up like outside of obviously becoming financially independent? Like, why is this narrative so important for you? Why is rich and regular so important for you guys? Yeah. Um, you know, we've been going back and forth thinking about what is the mission or what are the missions of, of our platform uh, and the business that we're building. And I think what we've landed on is this idea of inspiring better conversations about money. Um, because if we look at what is happening today uh, and how we talk about money, and I, and I mean specifically black people, we talk about money in such a vague and um, abstract way. Um, and we certainly don't attribute a lot of the failed financial decisions to the way that we talk or learn about money. And so what we want to do is inspire better conversations about money. Um, and so we want to like get into like, what do you mean when you say that person makes good money? What do you mean when you say they have a good job or they're doing well or this person is rich? Like, let's get more specific. Let's get down to the details. Let's get tactical. Um, and let's get out of the conversation, most importantly. Like, once we're done inspiring that conversation, how do we move to the next step? Because I think there's so many of us that have drawn the line at simply just having the conversation, at just talking about it. Um, and so we wanted to be, we're less concerned with being financial role, uh, with being financial experts and more concerned with being financial role models so that we can replace mm. um, the, the, the standard narrative that so many people have around money um, and get it uh, to a point where people really feel uh, empowered to, to start thinking um, on their own. And so that, that's, that's what I think is really happening here and why we felt so compelled uh, to share our story publicly. Um, because right now, like, what we're doing is just not working. Um, and we've got to do better. And we figured we needed to be uh, role models and examples uh, first before we ever tried to tell anyone uh, what we thought that they should do. 100%. Uh, there was this quote that I know I'm not going to probably be able to say verbatim, but it, it basically... Uh, ties to what you just said. It's like the 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 goal isn't to free other people; it's to free yourself and show them how you did it, right? Or something or something of that sort. And you know, yeah. I, I think like you know, the internet, the gift and the curse of the internet is that anybody can have a platform, right? So it's easy, no barrier to entry, and that's why people like you can exist. But the caveat to that is anybody can also have a platform. So I think it's very important to have people who are role models and aren't just grabbing the, the, the buzzworthy content to share. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm ex as excited as the next person to get the message out, but it's important to you, to your point to further the conversation, right? Like how is this actually working in practical application? Like if I'm sharing this, am I sharing things that I've actually done or am I, am I sharing things that are good to talk about? Because if we're just sharing things that are good to talk about and we aren't people that have actually implemented those things, we can't carry the conversation further. Right. So I think it's very important that you guys are actually doing the work. Um, so you're really just sharing um, what has worked and are able to extend the conversation, like, you know, going against the grain and saying why we decided to not do real estate anymore, right? It's not, we're not talking about real estate and we're not bashing it from, from a vantage point of people who haven't done it. We did it and we did it well, but this is why we are 
looking at it this way, which can open up the dialogue for people to reposition how they build wealth, right? Um, like a digital asset, right? Once you build an ebook or a course, like that is an, a digital asset now, right? It can literally make money for you all times of the day without any over, any real overhead, maybe besides advertising costs. So I think that that's a, a very important uh, perspective. And I really applaud you guys just for challenging the status quo and actually doing the work because so many people are just sharing financial content, which I'm grateful for, but haven't necessarily taken those actions themselves. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's one of the it's one of the downfalls of a lot of financial advice is that it's so set it and forget it. And for a long time, that made sense because industry wasn't changing. You know, the world wasn't changing as rapidly as it is now with technology. And so now in order to master your money, you need to have a relationship with it and the world. And in order to have a relationship where you need to know yourself and you need to know it, how it works, how it's generated, how it's earned, how we grow, how it loses, how it's lost. And so if, if the goal of any movement is to free people, then you got to teach them how to think. You can't just tell them what to do. Like, and in and, and showing how we're doing things, it's teaching them. Like, these are the questions that we ask ourselves. You may come up with different answers when you ask yourself how you want to spend five extra time of, you know, five extra hours of time. Our answer was that we would rather spend it on learning this new landscape versus real estate. But if you're super interested in HVAC, and painting and and <laughs> learning how to be a general contractor, then that five hours will serve you really well in real estate. Yeah. There's a, you know, in order to, to become a more effective real estate investment investor, there were different time investments that we had to make that didn't feel enjoyable. But yeah. we knew how to ask ourselves that question instead of just following the script of how to be a better real estate investor. Right. Self awareness self awareness is the biggest key. That's the most one of the most underrated skill sets. It doesn't matter how much money you make doing it, like, how do you feel? Yeah, right? And so yep. my whole thing is I'm more concerned with how my life feels than how it looks, right? Does it look cool yeah. to say I'm a real estate investor and I own four different properties and I'm collecting? Yeah, I mean, maybe that looks cool if that's the hot topic of the day, but and maybe it, and it, it is a great way to build wealth. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to like butcher real estate, right? But if for you personally, it doesn't feel that way, then it is okay to go in a different direction. I think that's just the important, most important part uh, of, of the dialogue for sure. And so for the person who has listened to us for, I'm um, going on 46 minutes now. Um, and they're like, man, this is it. Like, I want to, I want to take this step, but I just don't, I don't know where to start. What, what advice would you have to that person who is interested in pursuing financial independence but just doesn't know where to begin. I feel like the easy answer is to just go to our website (laughs) (laughs) and you know what I mean? Like just trying to get a feel for what it looks like um, or what it feels like from our perspective. Um, That's actually a really, really difficult um, question to answer because I think everybody's situation is different. Right. right? If if the person, uh, it just depends on where they are in their life um, because that will dictate what their starting point is. Um, but I will say, take an afternoon, right? And you, you can start with our website, but take an afternoon and spend some time to explore the movement. There are tons of articles out there. There are now books out there. There was a movie that we were actually in called Playing With Fire that came out last year. Um, you can rent that from iTunes or watch it on Vimeo. Um, gosh, there are podcasts. You know, this is one, but there are several other podcasts that have addressed the subject. But I would say, 
find um, the community online, find the people, explore the pathways, you know, figure out all of the different rules of thumb and then apply which ones you want to uh, work for you. Um, I would say ours is a bit unique in the sense that it's catered to the African-American experience. Um, and so for us, we talk about, well, I should just say the black experience. Um, we talk about the, the, the motivations that might be unique for our community to help us say, hey, this is a lifestyle for us. But the tactics that we've used, like you may not be in a position uh, to go from being technologically illiterate to a digital entrepreneur in two years. You might prefer and say, hey, you know what? I actually do enjoy um, and I'm really handy um, and I've got a great network and so real estate investing actually is for me. Or you could be the person that is completely, um, you know, that has no entrepreneurial skill set whatsoever, but you've got a really good job. And if there's one thing you know how to do is to be frugal. You may say, you know what? I am now going to take a hard look at my uh, budget and instead of saving 10%, I'm going to see if I can save 25%. And then, you know, between me and my partner, we're now going to save 50% of our income. And we're coming out of this period. We recognize how much of a luxury it is to be a dual income household throughout a recession. I'm going to take advantage of the fact that the market is at 25% discount and load up on my investments. And if I max out my 401k and my IRA, I'm going to open up a brokerage account. And if I max, well, you can't really max those out, but, you know, you can add, throw in a 529, throw in, you know, a custodial IRA and just keep on going. And I think what you realize when you do all of that, um, whether you hit that 25 or that 30 number or not, what you realize along the way at some point is that you could never work harder than you want. You could never work harder than you want. No matter what you do, no matter how hard you work, or how to, what time you wake up, what time you go to sleep. You, at some point, will have days where your money, with you not lifting a finger, just clocked in 10000 15000 20000 Yeah. Um, and so that is the essence of, of the message that we're trying to find. So take your time, explore, find a personality. It may not even be ours, but you will certainly find someone or a platform in this community that I think can ultimately change your life. 100%. Um, as we get close to wrapping up here, I did want to bring up one point. So congratulations. I saw you guys just recently kind of locked in a book deal. Can you share a little bit about that? That's huge. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> um, we are writing a book. It's going to come out next year, 2021. Lord willing, the creek don't cry. <laughs> but um, it's, <laughs> it is it is part memoir, part love story, part um guide to this new modern money mindset it's you know when you look at the landscape of books and you wonder like what what is the book that you give a young black person that changes their life like what is the rich dad poor dad of our generation what is the your money of your life of our generation and there isn't really one and that was the story we went to new york to tell the gatekeepers of media that you are completely missing an audience of people of color who have a very different economic situation are and are in, next in line to be the wealth holders of this country. Um, we're missing we're missing a moment of like education and telling them you know how to, to manage that. And so our book, as aspirational as that sounds, is is our first attempt to try and leave something, uh, some sort of legacy or guidebook that helps people have a richer relationship with their money. Love it. Well, I will definitely be on the lookout for that. Uh, I actually have um, aspirations of 
writing my first book in 2021. So I'll have to kind of talk to you guys offline about what that process to being able to make that happen. So no, that's, that's huge. I'm really excited for you guys in that regard. And uh, just despite all that's happening in the world right now, what are you guys most excited about still for 2020? 2020. Um, it's hard to get out the house. Right. Right. Optimistically. Right. A lot of unknowns, but just, you know, optimistically. Um, I am optimistic actually about the number of, of, of mindsets that this pandemic will, um, will force to change. This will force a lot of people to make, uh, serious gut checks and, and, and question their rules of thumb. Um, and the life lessons that have shaped their thinking about money, um, what's needed, uh, what is reasonable, uh, what is luxury, what is important, um, what's a priority. All of those things, this, this situation is forcing people to come to, uh, to grips with. Like, you know, again, not to rail on car guys, but I'm not, I'm not a car guy. I don't really care about cars. But if you have an expensive car right now, you're probably going through a moment since you can't go anywhere, uh, where you're thinking about how important that car is, right? Is it still bringing you joy while it's sitting outside and collecting dust and or pollen? Um, and, and that's not something that you can get out of. Uh, and so I'm really excited about that because, you know, we can only reach so many people. Our platform is, is only so big. While we're excited about writing a book, we know not everybody in the world is going to buy it. But this moment is an opportunity for a lot of people to reckon with their beliefs about money. Um, and to really ask that question about how do you see this ending? You're on this path. Um, this is what your trajectory is. Um, how do you see this ending? And I think if you come out of that conversation with yourself or with a life partner, thinking about what you're going to do, uh, you're, you're probably going to come out making a situation, uh, making a decision that will improve your financial life. Got it. Got it. Awesome. And how, speaking of your platform, how can we connect with you? So people are listening and they're like, well, you know, George is cool, but rich and regular, we got to tap in with them. Um, so <laughs> how, how can we, how can they find you? What's the best place to connect with you guys? Yeah. So we're on, uh, online, obviously we're online. <laughs> we have our web. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Start with Google. Um, you can find our blog at richandregular.com. We also have, uh, Instagram at rich and regular. Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and YouTube, all at Rich and Regular. Awesome. We're everywhere you want to be. Everywhere you want to be. Easy enough. Love. It. And this is just an aside, but whenever someone has a really cool like brand or company name and they're able to get it and it's not like a .co or .net, I'm like, that's how you know it was meant to be for you, right? Because like yeah. Rich and Regular is like a super dope uh, brand name. Um, and so the fact that you guys were able to get it means that it was for nobody else but you guys, so... I just always like that because even though I'm not one that's really like beholden to that, I'm also not going to be held back if I couldn't get the dot com. Right. But if you are able to get it and it's super unique, it usually in my mind just means that it's for you to share the message underneath that platform. Yeah, man, it's been an interesting I like to look at it as like a real estate investment, <laughs> digital real estate. <laughs> yeah, 100 percent. If you think it's something dope, buy the buy the search term. If you want to sell it, you can sell it like just buy it. 100%. Like $10. And again, low, bar- low barrier to entry. Low barrier to entry. And the, yes. And the very last question that I ask you guys, and I'll let you go so that I can be respectful of your time, is uh, what does living life uncensored mean to you? 
feel like I want to drop an F bomb right now. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think I think it goes back to the, the comments I was making earlier about freedom and, and you know the guidance that we give people is to be rich enough to speak your truth, whatever mm-hmm. that number is. Uh, but you really want to be rich enough or wealthy enough to be able to just be honest and stop lying to yourself or lying to others about where you are in your life. So that to me is what I would think of when I think about living uncensored. Love that. Kirsten, anything you want to add or you agree? Okay. Okay. No, he actually stole my answer. That was going to be mine. (laughs) (laughs) You know, what's funny is I agree with that so much because I have this theory that I feel like until you get to a certain financial position, you've never truly made decisions that are in your best interest, right? You always are making decisions relative to the circumstance that you're in, right? So it's good relative to the position that you're in. And so that's why financial freedom is important. So you can actually get to a point where your decisions are aligned with your true best interests and not just because this is the best that I can do right now. Yes. Yes. That's what led me to quit my job. That's exactly it. Boom. And there you have it. Well, guys, I appreciate you so much for being on the show. I took up the whole hour because, you know, you guys have a lot of value uh, to bring to the marketplace. And I know my listeners are really going to find a lot of value in what you guys shared. So thank you so much for carving out time in this uh, interesting season of life. I hope you guys stay safe, stay healthy. And um, yeah, keep living the rich and regular life. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, man. Thanks a lot, brother. Thank you for tuning in to an episode of The Uncensored Show. Take at least one thing you heard today and apply it to your life immediately so that you can become one step closer to living a more meaningful and fulfilling life and aligning your resources to what matters most to you. Remember, money is just a resource to fuel your journey. The question is, what's yours? What's going on, guys? Thank you so much for listening to the Uncensored Podcast. Whether you've listened to one episode or 40 episodes, I am so grateful for you taking any amount of time out of your day to listen to my show. Now, if you like what you heard, the best way to show me that you have an appreciation for this content is to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts and share this podcast with at least three friends because that helps us spread the word, right? We don't have a big marketing budget over here at the Uncensored uh, Podcast Studios, which is my home office, by the way, but we do have your support. And with that support, we can reach thousands, if not hundreds of thousands. So guys, thanks so much uh, for your support. Please share this with three friends and leave a review, and we'll see you on the next episode.